There are two readings this morning. Um, so if we'd like to find the second reading first, and that's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. If you'd just like to keep a finger in that page or a service sheet. And once you've found that, I'll take you to our first reading, which is in Acts, and that's Acts 26, starting at verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then our second reading in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Ali. Uh, well, morning. If you've met before, my name's Simon. I'm on staff here at church. Um, should we pray before we begin? Lord God, we thank you that you do speak to us in your word, the Bible. And Father, we do pray this morning that uh, by your grace, we would see ourselves more clearly. And Father, that you would show us our saviour this morning, please. Amen. I wonder, have you ever sent a message to someone by mistake? Um, you meant it for someone else. Uh, I heard a few weeks ago, Serena Williams had a similar experience. I don't know if you heard about that. Um, so she's uh, pregnant, and uh, each week of her pregnancy, she's kind of taken a, a selfie from the side to see how much her bump is growing each week and send it to her partner. And uh, 20 weeks, she was, um, uh, took a photo, sent it to her partner, and then her phone just started buzzing and buzzing, got so many text messages and rings and that kind of thing. Um, and it turned out she'd accidentally shared her, shared her photo on her social media. Hard to keep it under wraps when you've got 5.8 million Instagram followers. I guess it's a mistake she won't make again. But I don't know, have you ever experienced something like that? That feeling of uh, dawning horror creeping into your stomach? Of course, I guess we might send messages to the wrong people all the time. You CC someone into an email accidentally. And most of the time, it's uh, consequenceless. But I guess the ones that really stick out are the horror stories, the worst nightmares, the job application sent to your current boss. A text unambiguously about someone to that someone. And suddenly, you're exposed. It's out in the open. And you wonder, what are they going to make of me? What are they going to make of me? And I wonder if I could ask, what about me, or what, sorry, what about you, would you most fear being exposed? What if my worst was out in the open? What would people here make of me? What would God make of me? Could I really be here in church this morning? So that's what we're going to consider this morning. If my worst was exposed, what would God make of me? And actually the answer is the very central message of Christianity. It's that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to save us at our worst. At our most exposed, Jesus Christ came to save us. So we'll look at um, three points today. But firstly, to consider Jesus came to save sinners. So when God came into this world, that was his mission, to save sinners. Now, I guess there are lots of views uh, today on what Jesus' central ministry was, uh, what his legacy was. Uh, Each year, there might be a new book on if he came as an example of love or as a revolutionary leader against kind of bigoted establishments, or um, if he came for the poorest people, if he came to fight for human rights, lots of good things, etc. But there are so many views, it can be hard to hear with any clarity. Um, So what is it all about? 
So I can remember actually as a teenager thinking this. Um, personally, I'd grown up in a church going home, a Christian home, and been to church most Sundays of my life. Um, but at one point as a kind of young teenager, my mum asked me, would you call yourself a Christian? And I remember just being left stopped by that question of being like, well, I'd like to, but I don't actually know what one is. Um, so I knew at church, there's a big kind of big cross at the front of church. I knew that was important. I knew people thought it was a big deal. But I just couldn't quite see through the wood for the trees and work out, so what is it all about? So actually the most helpful thing anyone did for me was to open up the Bible with me and point me to a verse like we've got here today. So you look down at verse 15 here. The scriptures themselves are very clear on the central mission of Jesus. So verse 15, if you like, kind of emphasizes it on page 1191. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So this is the Bible's way of kind of underlining a sentence, getting a highlighter out, bold, italics, underline, big font. Here it is. Here's a central message of Christianity. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what the historical records of Christianity show. His central mission was to save sinners. He died on the cross in my place so that sinners like us can be saved. So there are lots of good things Jesus did that weren't his central mission. So he was a great teacher, but he didn't come just to teach. He was a great leader, but he didn't come just to lead. He was a great example, but he didn't come just to be that. Um, at the moment, obviously, uh, there's lots of talk of manifestos. It's political parties publishing their manifesto, manifestos, what their kind of top aims and priorities are. Of course, within parties, it's kind of wrangling what, what should be top. If you like, with Jesus' manifesto, there is no debate. He came into the world to save sinners. So his central ministry was to die on the cross in the place of sinners. So at the cross, it wasn't just a tragically young death. It wasn't uh, just a tragic injustice. No, Jesus Christ at the cross dealt with our greatest problem. That's why it says central ministry. See, our greatest problem is sin. Sin cuts us off from a relationship with God. On the cross, Jesus took my place. He took that separation and punishment that we deserved so we could save from our greatest problem of sin. So his central ministry was to die on the cross. Jesus came to save sinners. Okay, so that's Jesus' mission was to save sinners. That's our first point. Well, our second point, it does beg the question, for who, though? Who has he come to save? Our second point, he's patient even for the worst. Um, I guess if uh, some of us had the opportunity to help someone out of debt, say there were four people to choose to help out of debt, um, I'd probably choose the kind of person who life had dealt a bad hand with, had been quite unlucky in life, um, didn't really deserve it. I probably wouldn't bail out the person who'd purposely spent all their money on gambling, uh, got into lots of debt borrowing money to go on a skiing holiday or something like that. So I'd probably, out of those four, I'd choose the other one. But the surprise of Christianity is that Jesus came to save actually the very worst, even the very worst of sinners, Actually, even someone like the Apostle Paul. So you look at where Paul places himself in this, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. So what we're reading here is a letter by the Apostle Paul, often known today as St. Paul, of um, St. Paul's Cathedral fame, that huge, beautiful building in London, um, author of uh, that wonderful uh, poetry we often hear at weddings, love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no record of wrongs. Paul today is known as probably one of the sharpest theological minds of history. Uh, he's famous for being a brilliant man. But that wasn't always what Paul was famous for. Actually, once he was known most for his violence, his persecutions of Christians, his passion to see the leaders of Christians killed. Actually, that was what, what he was once most famous for. So that other reading we had in the book of Acts filled in some of the detail for us. So Paul had always been a religious man. He grew up as a Pharisee, kind of one of the um, strictest and keenest um, parts of the Jewish religion at the time. And he was zealous to see any heresy stamped out at all. To the extent he said he would do anything to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He would do anything. Jesus a fraud in his eyes. So Paul went right up to the top of the religious hierarchy to get papers, arrest warrants, to put any of these new Christians in jail. That's men, women, children. So in his own words, he says in Acts 26, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. That's St. Paul of Paul's Cathedral fame, the man who hunted down religious refugees have them killed. Do you know what the very first mention of Paul is in the Bible? The very first time the Apostle Paul's mentioned. It's actually the account of the first Christian martyr, who's a man called Stephen. Stephen's role in the early church, he was there to um, help give bread and food to um, the widows and the needy, those who couldn't feed themselves in the church at the time. If you like, Stephen was in charge of the, the local Christian food bank. The very first mention of Paul is him giving approval to Stephen's stoning. Paul being an accessory to his murder. By any modern definition, I guess you'd call Paul a religious extremist. So Paul was a nasty piece of work. Yet the shock is this is who Jesus came to save. A man like that, God treated with patience and mercy. Jesus came to save sinners, even the worst. And that's the same work he's doing even today. So in March, I saw there was an article um, in the New York Times titled, The Jihadi Who Turned to Jesus. So it's an interview with um, a 25-year-old called Bashir Mohammed. Uh, four years ago, he was fighting on the front lines of Syria for an offshoot of al-Qaeda. Uh, he'd grown up in a, um, a Muslim home in Syria uh, as a religious guy. He says in this interview, he used to pray so loudly that the upstairs neighbors used to complain. As a teenager, he was taken by his cousin to listen to um, jihadi preaching. Uh, he was radicalized and joined the uh, front, this al-Qaeda offshoot in 2012. He said when he was there, um, he witnessed extreme brutality. He was part of his uh, colleagues who... Um, who he said crushed captives to death with a bulldozer, and other horrors which um, we don't need to talk about now. 
But to his incredible shock, one day he got a phone call from, um, from his cousin, from the same cousin who'd taken him to hear this extremist preaching years before. The cousin had moved to Canada and told him he'd been converted to Christianity. His cousin put him in touch with a Christian min- uh, minister, a missionary out there, who uh, opened the Bible with him. And he told him, even after all he's done, Jesus Christ came into the world to take the punishment he deserved, to offer him forgiveness. This missionary said, all your sin can be laid on Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And actually, Bashir Muhammad turned. He turned from his old way of life to put his trust in Jesus Christ, to ask for his forgiveness. So he now calls himself the jihadi who turned to Jesus. And his wife calls him, quote, much better to be around. This is a shocking level of mercy, though, isn't it? For that really is the shocking message of Christianity. Even the worst, Jesus Christ came to save if they believe in him. So God takes someone like Paul and saves him, someone like Bashir Muhammad. And he takes someone like Paul to save him to make it crystal clear for you and I here today. If Paul can be saved, then anyone can. Anyone can believe in Jesus and be saved, if even Paul can. So Paul's like an an example to us. That's how he puts it in verse 16. He says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. As an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. He's an example to you and I. If we turn to Christ, he will save us. He will forgive us. He is immensely patient, even for the worst. Okay, so this this central message of Christianity is that Jesus came to save sinners by dying on the cross. But can I ask us today, where would you say you fitted into a religion like that? Where would you place yourself? That's our third point, as we consider where we fit in. So a while back, I was at a dinner party, and I was sitting next to a man um, in his 50s, um, asked him uh, what he does, and he told me he worked in the city. Um, by the looks of him, uh, he'd been financially very successful, so he'd worked there for a number of years. Um, and he asked me what I did. I told him I was uh, working for a church, training to be a minister. And straight away, he looked me in the eye and said, I could never come to your church. Oh? And he said, I would be the worst person in the room. He said, I have lied and cheated and squashed my way to the top. I have ruined people to get to where I am today. I could never come to your church. I had to tell him, you've completely misunderstood Christianity. Jesus came to save sinners. Actually, he's incredibly patient, even for your worst. So for any of us here today who are particularly conscious of what we've done, particularly conscious of what we've done in the past. For any of us here today who feel like if I was exposed, if people knew what I'd been like in my business life in the past, my family life, how I behaved, if people knew that, I couldn't be here. Well, please hear that message of Christianity. Jesus came to save sinners. He's patient, even for your worst. Just look at Paul. If he can be saved, so can you. So the first surprise here is really that Jesus came to save even the worst. 
even sinners like Paul. But perhaps some of us, the second surprise is actually I'm one of those sinners who Jesus came to save. And so Christianity will mean very little to you until you can say, I'm a sinner who needs saving. It will mean nothing to you. So the Bible is very clear. All of us have sinned, and we all need God's forgiveness. So we might, might not be on the um, scale of a pool type, but we have all sinned. You might not be the worst person you know, but do you know yourself? See, it's very, very easy to be deluded about how good we are. So I read an interview in the paper with um, Jonathan Aitken. Um, Jonathan Aitken, who was a successful journalist before becoming um, an MP, a politician, uh, he was in the cabinet, chief secretary to the treasury, you know, high point of his profession. But it all came tumbling down in the 90s over a libel case over money. He was charged with perjury, uh, perverting the course of justice. It's all very messy, front page news, family involved, that kind of thing. Uh, he later referred to it in this interview as the multiple dramas of defeat, disgrace, divorce, bankruptcy, jail. And he said in this interview, it was only the first night he was in that prison cell that it hit him. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. He said, quote, coming out of denial is the hardest part of the process. Not blaming other people is tough. I rather treated God as though he were my bank manager, but I thought I was in charge of the account so I could get away with what I wanted. It's not a Christian life, but a self-centered and proud life. My pride had been such a powerful, blinding state of minds that for me it could only be cured by the severest of lessons. Many people remain throughout their lives in a state of denial about their own sinfulness. See, for him, it took everything tumbling down around him before he realized, I'm a sinner. And he's not alone. Many today are deluded about how good they are. So once a month or so, I'm part of a group here who, um, out on a Sunday afternoon, we visit some of the local parks, Hyde Park and Green Park, um, to invite people to come to the evening service. Um, often you know, people just ambling around Sunday afternoon, very happy to stop and chat. People are just, oh, why are you doing this? Um, get talking about questions of life and faith. And last time I was out, um, interesting, the first three people I chatted to, I asked them um, the question, if there was a moral scale between zero to 100, okay, so zero, um, evil, evil person, bad person, 100, a perfectly good person, perfect person, on a moral scale there, zero to 100, where would you place yourself? The first three people, three separate people I talked to, all placed themselves at 98? <laughs> Genuinely, 98. To gently burst their bubble, all I had to do was turn to their girlfriend and ask, would you agree that um, your boyfriend is 2% off moral perfection? <laughs> and they all replied um, with a slightly high-pitched, You see, it's very easy, without thinking about it, to be utterly deluded um, about how good we are. We're all sinful. We all are. So in preparing, I thought, okay, um, I'll think about this. You know, I'm not a, a murderer or anything like that, but I do want to think about how this applies to me. And so I wrote down on a piece of paper, I wrote it down on the smallest piece of paper I could find in the smallest uh, writing I could do, so no one else could read it. Um, but I thought, now I'll write down all my flaws, and my mistakes, my sins, Spare my blushes, I won't read it all out loud. 
but actually to stop and consider for a moment actually how I can treat other people. My words like squashing people, putting others down, cutting comments, belittling jokes about them, prickliness, gossiping, slagging people off, jealousy, double standards, liar, judgmental, passive-aggressive hostility. And then also to stop and consider for a moment, okay, how have I treated God? How can I treat him? I'm thankful for what he's given me, ignoring him, worshipping my own appetites more than him, breaking his commands, disobedient to him, not loving him, but finding him annoying, using his name as a swear word. I take no delight in reading this list or reading it out to you. I'm a sinner. I know something of my own heart. And so I think I know yours too. You know, we're not 2% off moral perfection. We're flawed. We're deeply flawed. Before God, we're sinful. And we need his forgiveness. We all need saving from the justice we deserve, from the judgment we deserve. So you may not be the worst person you know, but do you know yourself? So here's the question. Can you say, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am one? Actually, if you can be honest about that, that is the path to joy, the path to real joy. Because see, when you're denying that to yourself, to God, you end up constantly trying to compare yourself to others, um, having to self-justify to everyone, feeling like you've got to wear a mask with people, and pretend you're something you're not. And that's not going to lead to joy, but just kind of trying to push others down to make yourself feel better. That's not joyful. But when you can be honest about your failings, about your sin, when you can admit that to God, that is the path to real joy. So I love the way Paul finishes in verse 17. Talked about himself being the worst and Jesus coming to save him. Verse 17. Now for the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You can hear the smile on Paul's face as he writes, can't you? See, the more I come to realize quite how bad I am, the more I'm amazed by Jesus Christ. See, Christ becomes the most wonderful person to you because not only is he God, he is the God who died to save you. That gives a deep, deep joy. So I know many of us here are already Christians, and we've probably known this kind of ABC of Christianity for years. But this joy of knowing your sin forgiven by Jesus Christ, this isn't a joy just for the first moment you become a Christian, the first few weeks, months. This is something which, over time, the more I know of God's word, the deeper I come to know God's, the deeper that joy is going to become. Because the more I see my own heart, the more, more sin is revealed to me, my own failings. And then the bigger and more glorious Jesus Christ becomes. See, Paul, I don't know how long he's been a Christian for. At this point, decades, decades. See how, joy, how deep his joy is. Deep joy. But see, to all of us, um, whether or not we call ourselves a committed Christian or not, I can ask you, can you be honest and say, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am one. For some of us will be, and in a moment there'll be a chance to respond to Jesus Christ in faith and ask his forgiveness, with the words on the, on the uh, sheet. But some of us, I guess, aren't yet ready, um, still thinking these things through. Um, well, I'd really encourage you, if you'd like to think these things through more, um, come along to Honest Questions, um, you'll find the flyer in your sheets. Um, come along in the Tuesdays in June, 
uh, we'll consider more about these um, questions of life and faith, how Jesus um, gives the best answers. But say, if you're not ready yet to say these words to Jesus, if you're not ready to become a Christian, um, don't say the words of this um, prayer in a moment. Um, just think about them. But some of us know we are ready now. If perhaps in the past Christianity seemed a bit blurry, sorry, what is it all about? Actually, it's clear now. A Christian is someone who believes that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And someone who admits, I'm one of them. It might be the first time you've prayed this prayer. It might be a moment of recommitment. But why don't we take a moment now to take out that service sheet and consider these words of, of confession, really, and belief. Under the words of confession. Let's just have a pause to, um, in our own hearts, reflect and consider if we're ready to say these words for ourselves. So if you are ready to say these words to God, then pray with me. O Lord our God, you know us better than we know ourselves. As we come before you now, we all share a deep need. We are all lost without your grace. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our troubled thoughts. Give us true repentance. Forgive us all our wrongs. Transform us by your Spirit to live for you each day, to love and serve each other, and through the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord, to come at last to heaven. Amen. Well, if you just prayed those words for the first time, um, you've just begun the most wonderful relationship in the world with the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour. I really recommend telling someone today, if you've done that. And hear these words of assurance as I read. Almighty God, we praise you that Jesus died on the cross, giving his life for us. We thank you that in his death, the penalty for our sins is paid. We thank you that through his resurrection, he's made judge of all, and that by faith in him, we may have forgiveness and eternal life. We claim all these blessings in his name. Amen.